0: What a year it has been. As the curtain comes down on the Hebrew year 5780, how do we look at this past year, the upheavals, the disruptions? Practically every sector of life has been upended and destabilized in some way. And what can we look forward to in the next year? We've been around. We've been around. This will be the 5,781st Rosh Hashanah. What can it teach us? Hello, everyone. Simon Jacobson here. In another episode of the Wednesday night global class, and it's the last one in this Hebrew year, 5780. So fittingly, we will be talking about what a year it has been. This program is dedicated in memory of my dear mother, Ella Retsina, dedicated by Rita Tsalyuk. Yes, may your mother's neshama be a source of blessing to you and your entire family. What a year it has been. Just those few words, I think, capture for all of us the sentiment. And where are we headed? Events are not over yet. The COVID-19 has not disappeared. It remains like a thick cloud hanging Yes, things have shifted. It's not quite. Thank God, at least in my part of the world, the casualties, the losses, but it's still there. The tentativeness is in the air, very palpable, and it's affected and impacted all of us. As you know, the approach I've been taking, where I've been trained from the beginning, I remember, back in March, was that there are two responses. One, which I utterly reject, but one response is to cower in fear, to raise our hands in despair. What can we do? Frustration, anger, bitterness. The rug has been pulled out from under us our calendar, our schedules, our travel plans, our summer plans, our holiday plans. Or approach number two, dig deeper. Find inner resources. Don't be part of the problem, be part of the solution. We don't control events around us, but we completely control our attitude. For me, it's not even an option, to be very honest. I've been trained in the approach to... And that's what I've been doing. That's what the Meaningful Life Center has been doing. Taking a proactive approach. Obviously, there are things we don't control and we have to be prudent. This is not about ignoring, God forbid, the circumstances, both from a health perspective, following guidelines, but at the same time, the spirit, stronger than ever. That's how it has to be. And frankly, as I said, I don't think there's a choice. That's what we're made of, and we're tested in times like this when we're challenged. You don't know how strong a teabag is until you put it into hot water. So when we look at this past year, what a year it's been, we can look at it from the perspective of a very negative one, or we can look at it as an unprecedented opportunity for growth for discovering our inner resources and our strengths. Let's talk about that a bit more in ways that we can enter this new year. And when I say new year, though it's a Hebrew-Jewish new year, it's really a new year for all of us because Rosh Hashanah is the celebration of the birthday of the human race, the entire human race. So what better time to discuss... And take an accounting, a soul search, an introspection into what humans are made of. Because this is a time in history that will forever be remembered. What did the human spirit do? Did we rise to the occasion? So let's start with that. Birthday of a person is a day when you... A day of accounting, a day when you... Evaluate, you look back at your life, the last year, what has happened, what mistakes were made, what I could repair, how could I improve for the next year. Rosh Hashanah is that collective accountability. But collective, as each one as, in, as individuals, we don't just do it as a group. Because it is the day when God decided to put you and I on this earth with a vote of confidence and a mission and a calling, to transform, refine, and elevate material life into a more transcendent and spiritual environment. And no matter what comes our way, positive, negative, challenges, it's all part of that mission. Everything is part of our mission. When you think of it from a mission-oriented approach, instead of an event-oriented one, Everything takes on a different meaning. Mission, okay, what is the overriding mission? The mission will have many chapters. Think of it like a book, a full book with many chapters and many ups and downs and many twists and turns, all part of the mission. So yes, this pandemic, this COVID-19, this lockdown and all its implications, it's part of our traveling through it is part of the mission that we have. Did we ask for it? Did we prefer not? Of course. So when you think of it that way, the mission doesn't stop because, let's say, you can't go to your workplace or because you can't go to a restaurant or you can't even, on a religious end, go to a synagogue on Rosh Hashanah. The mission continues. The mission is the mere fact that you exist. mere fact that existence exists means there's a mission. These are just variations. And of course, as I said, there are more comfortable scenarios when we're more in our comfort zones and things are simpler. We can rely on our conventional, whatever that means, routines, security blankets. But the mission continues even when there's a setback, even when there's a loss, even when there's a death, God forbid, even when there's a global disruption. That's how Rosh Hashanah reframes everything in life. So whatever we've gone through, Rosh Hashanah says, okay, let's stop for a moment. Here's a day, two days actually, coming this Friday night. So it'll be Saturday and Sunday, this year Rosh Hashanah. Let's reframe, let's look at, re- look, revisit and look back at the months behind us and look ahead to the months before us. So what do we see? If you see moments, fragmented events and moments, you see some really bad ones. You see deaths, health challenges, economic challenges, Jobs lost, a lot of security in question. When you think mission-oriented, which is a Rosh Hashanah way of looking at things through the lens of mission, what is the mission in all of it? What was the purpose in my life to have to go through this experience? And what did I do in response? And that is totally in our control. Events are the things that happen as I always use the analogy of the difference between a good swimmer and a bad swimmer. When a storm strikes at sea, the swimmer who's not experienced, what will he do or she do? They will go by impulse and try to fight the tide, the waves, until unfortunately the person exhausts himself, drained of resources, and who knows what will happen. What does a good swimmer do? Same storm takes a very different attitude. I'm not going to fight this uh, storm. You go into float mode. I'll float. I'll ride the waves. I'll go with the flow until the storm subsides, and then we continue on. That's the difference. Same storm. One is trying to address the immediate issue. The other one looks at the whole picture. And and that, in turn, gives us the GPS navigational tools. Right now, no, it's not the time to fight the waves. It's not the time to fight and ignore the COVID virus and be reckless, be prudent, be careful. As far as the human spirit goes, it's the same swimmer, the one that's floating or the one that's swimming forward. During a storm or not a storm, it's the same swimmer. Now, I know it sounds good on paper and in words. It's easier said than done, absolutely. But that doesn't mean it shouldn't be said. From the said, we'll bring to the done. That's the challenge. Now, how do we take these ideas and words and implement them? Because, of course, fear, emotional concerns, and insecurities come into play. So it's not just a rational thing. Okay, we've now moved to another chapter. It's a storm. Let's float. I know it's not that easy. And especially if you're not prepared before the storm, a good swimmer doesn't become a good swimmer during the storm. He's a good swimmer before so then when the storm comes, he knows how to deal with it, has the resilience. What happens if he didn't build that up? And suddenly a storm comes and you took for granted all your gifts and blessings and comforts. So there are tools and instruments, and Rosh Hashanah provides that as well. So Rosh Hashanah is not just a day of accounting, And looking at things and reframing and revisiting, it's also a day of providing us with resources and tools. Because the birthday of a human being, the birthday of the human race, came with blessings. It came with resources. Like when a child is born into this world, it's not just born completely empty-handed. Yes, a child is vulnerable and fragile and needs to be protected, defenseless. But a child has resources. At early age, those resources are about survival. The child knows when to cry for for food or when it's uncomfortable. But that child will develop with resources, intelligence, and emotions to know not just how to survive, but how to swim, how to thrive. Because we're told that during pregnancy, just as the physiological development is in place, it's taking place, so too is the emotional, psychological, and spiritual development of the child is developing and growing. That means that everything the child will need in life is being provided for. It will emerge later, like anything emerges. All our entire adult lives, and I'm not just talking about acquired skills, but the innate ones, they all began long before we even remember. So Rosh Hashanah is all about that as well, providing the resources needed to face any challenge So I would divide so far what was said, sum up what was said into two. One is the general attitude to look through the eyes of Rosh Hashanah, through the lens, mission-oriented, vision-oriented, big picture-oriented, rather than fragmented pieces, looking at the piece, looking at the picture, which means a mission-driven life, a mission-centric life, as opposed to a moment-by-moment life. A proactive centric versus reactive. So that's the general principle. And second is to look at what are the resources necessary and how do we access and find them to deal with whatever has come and whatever will come. Which brings me to another theme in Rosh Hashanah. It's an extension of theme number one the birthday. Of the human race, and that is our value, our indispensable value. Because if a person does not believe in himself or herself, it's very hard to deal with any situation, let alone a challenging one. Back to the good swimmer, he or she has confidence in himself, herself. And that's why they have a certain composure and a certain peace of mind, even in the storm. Obviously, you're vigilant, and you do what has to be done, but at the same time, you maintain that presence of mind and heart to now go into float mode, or to go with the flow. So to be able to have that type of approach, you have to have inner confidence that you're capable. This is such an important lesson in life. How many of us have all the resources we need, and all the tools, but we don't believe in ourselves? You could have everything, but if you don't have confidence, you give up. You see, this is just to use a simple example. Uh, I just finished the US Open sports. Athletes, top athletes, brilliant geniuses, but blessed with such gifts, number one players. And even without an injury, they can suddenly get into a funk and not believe that they can win. Someone gets into their head, something gets into their head. Good coaches have to contend with that. So how much, of it, how much of it is psychological? Obviously, psychological without the skills is quite limited, but what are the skills without the psychological mindset? If you don't feel you can be victorious, there's something going to be lacking. What comes with experience? These are the intangibles that are hard to define in terms of pure muscle power, brain power. It's attitudes. That is why it's so vital. Not just to recognize that this is our birthday. Our individual birthday. And that we have the resources but also to believe in it. Which brings us to the point of understanding the value of your life. Now why do so many people question that? Why do they question their inherent value? Shouldn't the natural ego of a person feel that they are important. And yet we see so much insecurity in our world. And at the same time you see so much arrogance and ego. So how do they go together? Well my friends, arrogance and ego is not a sign of self-esteem necessarily. As a matter of fact, very insecure people have to put up the bluster of ego and arrogance to conceal they're deep insecurities. It's like I remember someone was heckling me. I should say, no names. There's nothing negative. I have no f- bad feelings, but it was making me crazy. <laughs> and I, I, don't know what he wanted. It was not even a, you know, it was not even an argument. It was just somebody just, you know. So I asked a friend of his. Because so I said to the fellow, we were at a meeting, a, m- a meal. And he was like not letting go. The meal was becoming very uncomfortable. Nothing he had nothing personal with me. Some ideas he didn't agree with. Not even relevant what they were. I don't even remember what they were. Theological stuff. Um, And so I said to him, "Okay, let's get together tomorrow. You and I. We don't have to get everybody involved in this. Fine." But before I met with him, I just wanted to get to know what it's so. So I asked a friend of his, "What's the story with this guy? Seems to have a lot of anger." I don't know what his issues were. So he says he hides his ignorance with his arrogance. Interesting way of putting it. Unfortunately, that is one of the things people do. So the question, but however, still remains why should people have that insecurity? Why should they not feel absolutely valuable? We have God's vote of confidence. Mere fact you were born and given resources, given skills, given talents, abilities. So, of course, the usual suspect is parents. Our early childhood, our early formative years, whether at home or in school, when we're criticized, when we're invalidated, when we are hurt, again and again, the natural confidence that any person would have, any child would have, in life, gets beat out of us. I won't say it's stolen from us, but it goes on in concealment, undercover. That's the most obvious cause. There could be other things as well. People go through traumas, losses, and if they don't have someone there with them to hold their hand, they begin to project, there's something in the matter with me. We begin to identify with our experiences to the point that we become our experience. So if there was a loss, that means I am a losing person. I suffered, I'm a sufferer. And we're not able to distinguish between what happened to you and who you are. Comes Rosh Hashanah and says, just as we're reframing life circumstances, we're also reframing the very you. And what is that? That you have that absolute value and not given to you by human beings you are not elect- elected you are not elected by the majority it's not up for vote or consensus it's a God given right the mere ex- very fact that you exist by virtue of that means that you are absolutely necessary period that's a big declaration that's a big statement and I would say it's one that we need all the time. We need validated and affirmed every day. And we do get it validated every day. Every morning, it's a mini Rosh Hashanah. We say, Moda ani, I thank you for returning my soul to me. It's essentially validating that point. But Rosh Hashanah is on an annual basis. That injection, that renewal of the contract. In an annual way. that hey, You are absolutely necessary. You'll say, but I don't feel it. The factors I mentioned before parental, education, society, the media. I mean, they're by merely selling us things all the time and telling us, you want to really look beautiful? Buy this. You want to really look sexy? Wear this. Tra- travel here. You want to look be a success story? In other words, telling us that only if you purchase something, if you look a certain way, if you do a certain thing, that makes you valuable. When in fact, and no one's going to tell you this, you don't have to buy anything, you exist. That's the thing that makes you most valuable. Actually, indispensably valuable. So Rosh Hashanah declares that. The fact that we may not be able to access it, as I was saying the question, fine, it's there, but how do I access it? But knowing it's there is the beginning. Because now you have something to work toward. Now how do I get rid of Or, how do I mitigate, how do I eliminate or weaken the negative self image and low self esteem and lack of confidence when, in essence, I know deep down I'm totally valuable and absolutely necessary? So, two key ways to do that. And these are also Rosh Hashanah tools. One is to become aware, aware of your soul. Rosh Hashanah is about awareness. If we sound the shofar this year on Sunday because of the first day being Shabbos. What is the shofar? It's a call. The call of the shofar. It's a cry. It's a cry of the soul. It's awareness. It's a wake-up call. It's a pure sound instrument that's meant to parallel, mirror your inner cry. Be aware. The more you become aware of your soul, the more you become valuable in your own eyes. Because the soul is that piece of immortality within you a piece of the divine and the divine purpose within you the the deeper you're connected to that in direct proportion to that will be your attitude to yourself and to your life circumstances because remember the deeper the connection to that is the more you can have that rosh hashanah outlook through the lens of Rosh Hashanah, of the reframing and revisiting life, seeing it in a mission-centric way. So soul-centric leads to mission-centric. And that always strengthens and empowers you and makes it far easier to navigate like a good swimmer through the vicissitudes. That's one. Number two is to be around people. Be in an environment that feeds, that cultivates that attitude. You be around people who are depressed or people who do not have that confidence, it usually does not have a good effect. I'm not saying avoiding people. I'm saying surround yourself with individuals, whether you can do so physically today or do so spiritually or do it online, that have that proactive, not reactive, proactive, soul-centric, mission-centric approach to life. Participate, join with them in a project, in an activity. We have impact on each other. And Rosh Hashanah being the new year, and not just a new year, we call it the head of the year, a head. A head is like a central nervous system. It's not just the beginning, the first day of the year. It's the head that controls the central nervous that controls the entire year. When you go with that approach on Rosh Hashanah, then you take on a whole new attitude into the year. The days of the year being like the limbs and organs and all the parts of the body that Rosh Hashanah is the central nervous system of. Try it. So when we look back and we say, what a year it's been, it's been a year with many, many challenges. And they're not over. And only exacerbated by the politicization and the polarization, I find that to be really the saddest part, to be honest. Because that's man-made. COVID-19, some say that humans developed some of it in the lab. Maybe, maybe not. We don't know. But the spread of it is obviously not in our control entirely. But the blame game and trying to politicize it and for people's personal gain and elections and so on. Either way, I'm not talking about any side of the. Both sides of the aisle find that to be. Besides the fact, why don't we just join together? We're all vulnerable. We're all in this together. No, it does not discriminate the virus against one or another. But there's another element. It just adds to the confusion. There's enough confusion around. You can't know who to believe, what's true. Everyone uses any rumor, any hearsay to their advantage or try to do so. It just leaves most of us really, frankly, more than frustrated, just cynical about the whole process, by the media, by politics. You want to just go back into your own life, your family's life, the things you know are real. Maybe that's good, actually. Why should we be so impacted by other people, pundits that are comment- commentating and deciding what's important, what's not important, all with other agendas? Why, we, uh, why do we have to be, be, a, be viewers of that entertainment? You want to fight it out? Let them fight it out. Why are they bringing us into it? But that again is our decision. I would even suggest that the more you get soul and mission centric the less news out there is going to have an impact anyway. You won't need to be entertained as much. You won't need to be stimulated and inundated with all the different uh, part of the addiction. Maybe that's another resolution we should take upon ourselves. So Rosh Hashanah really is a tremendous opportunity of introspection of looking at everything, looking at yourself. And in simple, practical terms, maybe take out a sheet of paper before Rosh Hashanah, it's a good idea, and write down, what happened, what were your reactions? Go back to March. Before March, February, I don't know how many people, I mean, it was was beginning to make some news, but not yet. Whenever it began to become a factor in your life, so make a, make a piece of sheet of paper, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October. Well, we're not yet in October. And say, what happened in these months? My attitude. How did it shift? What impact did it have on my personal life? On my business life? On my leisure? It's a good way to really put things into context. Because when we're in it, it's hard to step back and look at it. But if you do that... And then another column, write down, what are the takeaways? What happened? Okay. First, I was confused. We locked down, then go to work. Then what happened? And even if it's not always pleasant, and even if it's embarrassing, you're writing it for yourself. But What you're doing is a real accounting. March, April, May, June, July, August, September. As I said, first, your reactions what was your mood, first what happened, I should say, then your reactions, what it did to you, whether it strengthened you, weakened you, how it affected your family, I'm going over your business, your personal life, leisure life, travel plans, and so on, and takeaways. I assure you if you do that, you can then say, okay, you know, this could have been done better. I'm going now into the next month, into the new year, Let's take a little different approach. This worked pretty well. Maybe I can maintain this. But above all, and this is where you want to go, move on to the mission-centric, soul-centric approach. Ask that question. So looking back at these months, what was the mission in it all? What did it, what should it have elicited from me? And the answer should be something like, it brought out deeper strengths, my talents, my skills, my innovation, my ingenuity, to do things differently, to be kinder, gentler, to make a deeper connection with my spouse, with my children, my grandchildren. I make, made up, asked forgiveness, or was after, ask asked forgiveness with people I haven't spoken to in a while, mended fences, and in general became a, a kinder person, offered to volunteer shared beautiful words with others, inspiring words, joined classes and meetings. And if you haven't done that, now's the time to begin. Or if you have, to intensify. Deliberately, live deliberately. Do not live in a way, circumstances, oh, that's what happened, I reacted. Proactive, deliberate plans. And think mission-oriented, soul-oriented. What can I and should I do? You can't imagine how empowering that will be. And empowerment breeds empowerment. Behave in an empowering way, in a a proactive way, and you become more and more proactive. That's how it is. So we have ourselves an unbelievable opportunity. Now you say, well, I'm so down by things that have happened. I lost my job. Um, I, I can't even see myself focusing and uh, being able to do this. Well, you know, this is the challenge. I will tell you, to bring yet another Rosh Hashanah theme in, Rosh Hashanah, a new unprecedented energy enters into existence and into your life, one that never was here before. So you're not alone. You are right now New energy is being downloaded, being like a transfusion into you. But you have to be receptive to it. If you're going to take the attitude that life circumstances are too difficult, and I fully, my heart's with you. I'm not suggesting that, oh, let's just minimize that. But the way to fight it is to recognize that you have also positive strengths that are being given to you. For every challenge, you also have a package of strengths. And it would be sad, worse than sad. It would be a tragedy if if you didn't access the strengths that you have that can help counter the negative. Someone said, one of the Hasidic Rebbe said that people say, if I was happy I'm sorry, if I was successful, I'd be happy. And he responded, if you'd be happy, you'd be successful. Attitude comes first, not circumstances. Many of us have been spoiled. We think, give me a gift, give me money, give me comforts, and then I'll be happy. Happiness comes from within. Attitude always comes first. Some people are blessed with circumstances that are are blessed ones. Gifted ones. Hopefully they appreciate it. But the truth is, everything begins with attitude. And that's all the most powerful element of Rosh Hashanah. So that renewal and newness. We blow shofar on Rosh Hashanah. This year, not on on Saturday, Shabbos, but on Sunday. You ever look at a shofar? A shofar, they're different, a ram's horn, they're different type, but they all have one thing in common. Whether they're the long ones, the round, the spiral ones, or the shorter ones, there's a mouthpiece. And there's a place where the sound emerges. Look at it. The mouthpiece is narrow. And where it emerges is wide. If the mouthpiece was wide, you wouldn't be able to generate sound. So we have a verse that we will say right before the sounding of the shofar. Min karasi ka, karasika anoni ka. From my meitzar, from my constraints, from my pressured, narrow place, I call out to you, God. And God responds from His expansive place. All greatness comes through some pressure, some resistance, some challenge. You want to know how strong a tea? Uh, you want to know how strong a tea bag is? You have to put it into hot water. You need to crush coffee beans to create coffee. You need to press an olive to create olive oil. Look at any success, any creativity always with some type of stress, some type of strain, some type of tension. The heart contracts, expands. Electricity, positive, negative. The more the resistance, the more the capacity and potential for growth. Growth. What better message do we have than for today than Russia's son's chauffeur message? From my narrowness. Everybody now has their dire straits. Some is lockdown, some is semi-lockdown, some is economic-related, some is health-related. We all have our constraints. So either you just live there and say, "Okay, that's too bad, and you lick your wounds." Or you sound, you, sh- you sound the call the clarion, and allow the sound to emerge because you blow through it, and from the other side comes out this expansive sound. So if you want to visualize it, when we feel pressured, we can either just crouch, roll up, or we cry out and then a, an expansive sound comes out and we get an expansive response this my friends is the approach that rosh hashanah teaches us in looking at our life circumstances so what a year it's been yes but the question is what a year will it be and the answer we have in our control, we cannot again control what will happen technically, but our attitude. If we can take what we've learned in that accounting I shared earlier, March, April, where you lay it out, we can learn from that, to be more vision and mission-centric, more soul-centric, more proactive. There's no question that this year will be a blessed year beyond any expectations. And yes, we turn to God and say, get rid of and eradicate this uh, virus once and for all. And we as humans will do whatever we can to create the vaccines. But there's so much in our control, especially to not get politicized, to not get polarized, to not turn this all into personal battles, that are unnecessary, to focus on the most important thing, your soul's mission in this world. That's what Rosh Hashanah reminds us. That's its wake-up call. And thank God that we have a new year, new opportunities, new possibilities, that we're not trapped in the past, and that a new energy will enter into existence, unprecedented energy, and into our lives, that will give us the ability to transform uncertainty into clarity, upheaval into transition, to a new world order, to an higher to a higher state of consciousness, and the constraints into personal and global redemption. Shana tova to all, to you individually, a blessed and healthy year, and not just healthy, stronger through these challenges, a year of personal and global redemption. It's been Simon Jacobson. In this final talk of this Hebrew year seven hundred and eighty. Meaningfullife.com, where you can find the full schedule of events and programs, really for all back people of all backgrounds and all interests, as well as other materials, audio, video, text, short, long, please take advantage and please reciprocate, please share your thoughts, your feedback, comments, share with friends, pay it forward. And yes, it's a custom as we go into the new year to make charitable contributions in honor of ourselves and our loved ones, including memory of any of our ones that have passed on. We have special Yisker virtual memorial wall and i encourage you and uh to be generous just go to meaningfullife.com donate and to help us continue our important work it's a real honor to be with you to partner with you to be together on this glorious journey in this historic time thank you so much